Hey everyone, before we jump into our interview with Joe Paluzzi, here's a quick word from our marketing and tech book club sponsors on 24. Your marketing programs need to create engagement that scales to many, but is personalized for every individual. That's why you need On24. On24 is a platform that allows you to create engaging digital experiences for every stage of the buyer's journey. Whether your experiences are webinars or curated content hubs, we turn audience engagement into the actionable data that you need to turn your prospects into customers. That's why businesses all over the world use the digital experiences platform On24. Hello and welcome everybody. I'm Carlos Doughty, founder and CEO of Martech Alliance. And today I'm joined by Joe Paluzzi, godfather of content marketing. Joe, welcome. <laughs> I love that simple introduction. That, that's straight to the doing. point. The straight to the point. Godfather, that's it's good enough. It's too long now to we, list everything otherwise. Now that we've scared everyone off, they're going to be like, yeah. what the heck is going on? No, it's a pleasure to, to talk to you today, Carlos. Thank you. So we're going to be chatting about your brand new book, um, the latest edition of Content Inc. Um, let's get straight into it. For anybody that hasn't had the pleasure yet to pick up a copy, do you want to give us a couple of tasters and a little bit of background of some of why they should be grabbing a copy now? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I, I wrote the first version of Content Inc. in 2014, came out in 2015. And what we were finding were all these creators and all these small businesses that were building audiences and they were monetizing those audiences with not a lot of, of resources. And we were like, could, could we uh, engineer or re-engineer the model for that and figure out how they're actually doing this? And that's where the first Content Inc. model came into play. We figured out, okay, there are six steps to this process. There's a platform building process, audience building process, and so on. And I'll go through some of that later. But then I was actually, you know, you probably know this, I was out of the game. So the book did well. You know, I sold, my wife and I sold Content Marketing Institute. I was writing mystery novels. I, I, be, I totally got out of the marketing game. And then we got hit by this thing called the pandemic. And pulled you back this, in, right? Yeah, it I got you it, back it, in. Yeah, just like the Godfather, right? It just <laughs> yeah, keeps yeah. pulling me back in. I didn't expect this, Carlos. I started to get messages. This is in April of 2020. There were messages. I had friends that lost their jobs that were asking me about the content model. Was it still relevant? Did it work? Then I started to look at my, I stopped doing the content podcast that I'm doing it now, but I stopped at the time and I looked at the downloads. The downloads were going up. I called McGraw-Hill Education, my publisher of Continent. I said, are you seeing any change in, in purchasing of the old book? And they said, yeah, we're, did, are you doing a promotion? Like people are buying it more. And I'm like, okay, there's something here. I think it had also something to do with this boom in the creator economy. Everyone's creating all this content and they're looking for a business model. So we decided we did you know, dozens and dozens of more interviews. We updated the model. It's now a seven-step model and includes everything you need to talk about with an exit strategy or how to go big with a content business. And uh, and I, I believe that if you're creating content today, most organizations have no clue about what if there is even a business model behind it. So the content model is all about you know how you find your sweet spot, your differentiation area, which we all call the content tilt, um, what you need to do that you can't over diversify quickly and go into all these mm. different channels. How do you build an audience over time and that you can drive revenue in 10 different ways from that audience. And so far it seems to be going well, people are, are liking the model and using the model, but that's, that's kind of my sole focus. Now I stopped writing the mystery novels and I'm focused on helping content creators of any size, but in a lot of cases, entrepreneurs 
so they can figure out, yes, you can actually build a business by using this business model. It does take time, but it absolutely works. Yeah, I think um, while you were out of the game, as you described it, <laughs> I, uh, I, I had the pleasure to chat also with Robert Rose on Killing Marketing, which I've got to thank you both genuinely. It's that not to say that that is a better book, but it's a fantastic book as well. That that's a different book. Yeah, completely that's a different. different book entirely. Yeah. But people should definitely read that also. And um, yeah, there's so much I want to thank you for from that because there's so much I took from that that literally I use in my business day to day as well. So it's a fantastic book. I remember yeah. Robert at the time describing as uh, Joe with his time off right now is probably having tequilas by the beach. He looks particularly bitter about it. <laughs> You know, it was weird. I mean, we had, we'd been producing even, you know, this old marketing podcast since 2013. And of course I, I said, it was totally my choice. I said, you know, I'm going to take a sabbatical year. I did 2018. I took completely off. I didn't do anything business related except for I spoke at one event content marketing world. Other than that, I did nothing. And uh, it was a, it, you know, it was something a lot of people don't get the opportunity to, to do. So we plant my wife and I planned it that way. Got to spend a lot of time with the kids, but now, you know, Robert brought me back in. So of course we started doing this whole marketing podcast again. It just seems like a not, not a lot of people are covering content marketing news and, uh, and Robert's one of the best. I mean, if you, if you're looking for somebody that understands the ROI of content marketing and can communicate that to an audience of people, you know, Robert's the guy. Yeah. I'm, I was very pleased that you brought back um, this old marketing. It's a great podcast, really nice format. Even the the random talkings at the, at the beginning about American football, which goes over my head, uh, it's good fun. I enjoy it a lot. Yeah, we have fun. I mean, basically, we we spend an hour teasing each other, which is <laughs> which is pretty much what it is, or or self deprecation. It it works. It works pretty well. And luckily, people, I don't know why, but people still listen to it. So yeah, I think you you both have on occasion polarized opinions which is fantastic because you get to sort of really push a subject area yeah i mean like for example i'm all in on nfts and creator coins and social currency was, and, yeah. and he cannot stand it he thinks it's <laughs> it's a big a big ball of nothing and we'll whenever that comes up on the show we totally uh fight about it so those are the kinds of things that we enjoy having a conversation about of course i'm right um, <laughs> about this whole thing and and he's just you know he he he's a little older um he's a little more out of touch so so you know sometimes i have to have to give him a little leeway but he's a good man he's good fun um <laughs> and so, so i mean you took the year off but i mean i wouldn't mind rewinding a little bit actually um obviously to get to the point of selling content marketing institute it didn't happen easily it wasn't quick you put an some type of shift in to build such an amazing business so yeah i mean i think it's it's more it was more than due for you to have a little bit of a break and a switch off from it all but do you want to just um for anybody that's not familiar with your background walk us through a little bit of the journey of building content marketing institute before it was acquired yeah sure i'm, I'm happy to and of course i talk about this in the book because part of that we use our you know content marketing institute as a case study but i guess if if you're if you're talking about like an og of content marketing i come up because i've been doing this thing since before 2000. Uh, i started using the term content marketing in 2001 i worked for a publishing entity at that point i was mostly involved in selling custom magazines to large business to business companies uh kept that job until 2007 had the itch to launch a business that business luckily became uh, you know, it was called a few different things, but became Content Marketing Institute officially in 2010. 
I really believed that that was going to be the term because the other terms like branded content, custom content, um, custom publishing, were not going to hold because you have, if you're going to communicate with marketers, you have to call it something marketing, search marketing, social media marketing, direct marketing, content marketing. And a lot of people hate that term. Uh, like a good friend of mine, Brian Clark, who runs Copy Blogger, he he was going kicking and screaming. He did not want to use that term until he realized, oh, that, I guess that's the term. And that's really the term that resonates with chief marketing officers, senior executives in marketing versus, let's say, inbound marketing, which HubSpot pushed out for years, uh, which is really more focused on small businesses, I think. So anyways, Launch Content Marketing Institute as the leading, hopefully the leading training and education organization around the practice of content marketing. We launched Content Marketing World in 2011. I was hoping I could get, you know, 100, 150 people to come to Cleveland to go to this event. We ended up having 660 that year. A few years later, we had 4,000. It's still the largest in-person. I think we're going back to in-person events um, in the fall. So it'll, it'll go back to being the largest in-person content marketing event. And uh, yeah, and then we're, was lucky to sell. And in 2016, I stayed on till 17. Over that time, I've written six marketing books, including Content Inc., which we were talking about. One, one novel, The Will to Die, which actually stars a marketing agency guy as the protagonist. I haven't read about that one. I'll confess, I haven't read that one. That's okay. If you like mysteries and thrillers, and it's, look it, how many mysteries and thrillers are there out there that stars a marketing guy? <laughs> <laughs> this is, and basically I go yeah. through a whole, the, the beginning of it, it's a whole pitch uh, while there's people dying. So anyways, which is a, is a normal marketing meeting for those chief marketing officers. Usually somebody dies at the end of a meeting. So anyways, I did that. And then now I'm back, you know, back up doing this thing. And then in, uh, in 2014, we also started our foundation, Orange Effect Foundation, which is uh, delivers speech therapy funds for kids and families that need uh, aggressive speech therapy. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, sort of focused on this new creator economy wave, even though I hate that term, uh, about trying to help these companies and individuals and startups figure out how they can actually launch a business without launching a product first, by building an audience first. And that's the whole standpoint for, that's what I believe is pure content marketing. That's also what I believe if you're going to start a business today, it's the least risky business is starting by building an audience first. And so, that's what, you know, and then of course I started a new business called The Tilt, which is a, which yeah. is a newsletter focused on exactly the things we're, we're talking about. So, you know, here we are and I, I just can't get out of my own way talking about marketing stuff. And my wife is really upset that I started another business. So here we are. <laughs> and so, what, so you've written a hell of a lot of books. Um, I'm always interested in what's your approach? How do you get in the zone? How do you, I've heard a couple of interesting stories um, on kind of, overcoming whether it's writer's block or finding those ways of flow. I'd love, I'd love to hear more. So a there's a couple different methods I've used. The initial books, uh, so Get Content, Get Customers was written in 2008. That's, that was my first book. Uh, and then, you know, a couple books with Robert Rose, Managing Content Marketing, Killing Marketing. I, I like the blog to book strategy. And I've used that, especially with Epic Content Marketing. So Epic was sort of the, you know, became known as sort of the book for content marketing practitioners that was 13. And I wrote 75% of that book were, were made up of blog posts. And, but that was the plan. So I'm like, okay, I've got six months of editorial calendar. 
I've got to get one or two blog posts out a week for Content Marketing Institute. But at the same time, there's a book here. So what I did was I actually wrote down a table of contents. And then, you know, every week I would write one or two chapters so that by the end of six months, I had most of a book. Um, a lot of people don't like that because they think, oh, I don't want to put any of the book out ahead of time. I think that's, I, I don't, I don't believe in that all for business to business writing, put it all out there. As soon as you get it, work out the details. And if you do that, you'll get some feedback because then I can make it better. That blog post can be better because of people are talking about it or they don't like that part of the model. So most of what I've written from a nonfiction side has been this blog to book strategy. And then I spend another three months editing. Now, the, the process for writing a novel, Carlos, was completely different. I tried doing a table of contents and starting, and it, it almost broke me. I, I basically got done after about three months of trying to write a novel. I thought that I was the worst writer in the world. I'm like, I must not know how to do this. So, and I got a bunch of different advice. I, I read On Writing from Stephen King, which is, by the way, is a fantastic book for, for fiction and nonfiction. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, what's, what's the way, what's going to help? And I listened to a podcast. I can't remember which one it was, but they said, look, what do writers do? Writers write. So you have to figure out every day you have to get up and write whether you want to or not. So what I did was every morning, the first thing I would do is I would start writing and I wouldn't stop writing until I got to a thousand words, even though at the start, these were the thousand of the worst <laughs> words you could imagine. It took about two weeks and something amazing happens that if you do this and you set your schedule and you're regimented after a couple of weeks, the magic starts that you get into the rhythm. And after that two weeks, I knocked out the entire book in four weeks after that. And it was amazing. Oh. So this is a hundred thousand words that I wrote and I, and I would write at least an hour a day. And sometimes I went longer because I just felt like, oh man, I've got it, or I'm on this chapter, or, I'm going to finish it, or I know what's going to happen next. And then you get excited about writing the next chapter the next day, because it's, but so basically you go through weeks and weeks of depression, thinking that you're no good and you can't do this. But then when you get into that rhythm, it all works. So that, and then, and I don't know, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to, if I write another nonfiction book, if I'll go that direction with it, but it's, it's just funny how those two things work differently in the types of stories you're trying to tell. And, um, and obviously, there's been a lot of change in the media landscape and content creation, which I'd say I think you're probably one of the best examples of this. If we look at what you're doing with Content Marketing Institute, what you're doing now with Tilt and what you're writing about. Can you talk us, to us a little bit more about the landscape overall, disintermediation of media and kind of the word you don't like, the, the um, content creator, creator yeah. economy? Talk to us a little bit about sort of joining the dots and what's what's playing out in front of us for those that um, are less sort of tuned in. Well, as you know, everyone seems to be a creator today. Every company is a media company, whether or not they realize it or not. We can communicate directly with our audience and our customers because they all have a smartphone. And at the same time, they can all create their own content and they are. So if you... I don't have the data on this. We're trying to get it at the tilt. But if you look at the growth of entrepreneurship around the world, which is a thing, there are more and more people becoming entrepreneurs. They're leading with these content first businesses because they're building audiences and then they're trying to monetize it. So it's a thing. So at the same time, you're getting all these people creating content, all these businesses creating content. So there's a lot of clutter out there. But if you look at 
um, what the platforms are doing. I, this is what scares me, Carlos, because what you're seeing is, is that after you had the Facebooks of the world and the LinkedIn's and Twitter's that didn't care about creators at all for the longest time, now all of a sudden they're courting creators. Yeah. I'm, we've got a you know podcast that Robert and I are going to do for this old marketing later today. And I've got Spotify's creating, uh, set up a creator fund. Clubhouse just set up a creator fund. Everybody's sending up creator fund. They're funding creators because they want all these content creators on their platform which is fine. I don't have a problem with it. I like that they're supporting it, but they're doing it out of self-interest. And here's what scares me. You're going to get a content creator or you're going to get um, somebody in a corporate environment, a marketer that's going to build an audience on a certain platform. And then that platform's going to do what they always do and change the rules. So you're going to build an audience. You're going to figure out the algorithm. And then as soon as you're feeling like you got something and you're communicating with an audience or a customer base, they're going to take it all away which they always do. Google Plus is a really good example. Yeah, uh, oh, Vine. Twitter, yeah, Twitter, Vine. Twitter kicking off people for whatever reason it's going to be. I mean, these things are, are happening. So I love what's happening with these high-tech platforms that are now uh, into the creator economy, if you will. But I'm also scared that people are going to draw to it like a, a mouse does to cheese and get caught in the trap. And and frankly, that's that's happening right now. It's going to happen. And what I'm trying to get out there and what we're talking about at the tilt is you have to diversify in such a way and diversify to email, mm -hmm. which is not totally controlled, but you have the most control. So I want to go from at the bottom of the subscriber hierarchy, things like Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, where I have no control up to print subscribers, believe it, I'm still a big believer in print. Uh, email subscribers and membership programs where we have a little bit more control over that communication if we can build ongoing value. So it's crazy. Every day there's a new creator program. Yeah. It's a, it's, we're thinking it's the golden age for content creators, which maybe it will be, but it's also very seductive and we've got to be careful. Yeah. I think, um, I think you've talked a lot about this. If you, where did I see it? I think you'd, somebody had asked you, if you had one place to live or one channel, it was email marketing all the way. Not even a question. Email, like it's funny because I answered so fast. It's it's email all day long, uh, because as far as I can tell, email is where we have the most control. Plus, if you're doing it right, you get double opt in, which hopefully you are. Mm -hmm. The challenge is is that most corporations have horrible email newsletters, and most of their email newsletters are regurgitated content that they already have. So it's like, oh, abstract link, abstract link most of those don't cut it anymore. Like you have to, if anybody listening to this has an email newsletter, you have to look at probably adding exclusive content of some kind into that. You have to look at that as a very special content experience as maybe the most important content experience you're going to have. Uh, because again, social media connections, while they may be valuable and they may, may help you build a follower base, they may be short-lived. So, okay. Build your audience on those other platforms, but at the same time, what is your strategy to convert those people over to something you have more control over? And then you realize, you know, you'll do a content audit. You get all your content people around the boardroom table and you look at your email newsletter and you say, well, first of all, have you read it? Probably not. Mm -hmm. uh, second, what kind of engagement are we getting? Oh, they'll say, oh, we're getting like a 4% open rate. And I'm like, that is terrible. You're spamming people if you're getting a 4% open rate, of course. There's Apple coming along and saying that we won't be able yeah. <laughs> won't be able to to gauge our open rates anymore. So now, what are we going to do? But that's where now click through rates going to be so important. But 
but yeah, it's, it's interesting how much you had businesses, media companies, especially that were pushing away from email 2009, 10, 11, running to social, but the companies that weren't New York times, Buzzfeed mm -hmm. have now rebuilt their entire business models on the back of email. What a smart decision that was. And, uh, and I think that you're in that same opportunity today. And I would even look at the possibility of print magazines. I think print, it's not, it's not going to be a big thing. It's going to be niche in some areas. It's going to be luxury, but there's a huge opportunity because there's no competition for the post anymore. I mean, is anybody getting channel. great magazines? No, it's not there. Well, I also think the other interesting behavior has been QR codes in this environment where we're now getting a lot more used to just scanning into because of obviously the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I think it's super interesting that as that becomes a behavior, it's such a quick, simple bridge between the physical and digital. And it'll be interesting to see from a print perspective, are there instances where print can make somewhat of a comeback or find its place of where it adapts and connects with a physical, um, the physical with a digital experience on your phone as well. I think that's happening. Of course, the, the no touching thing helps as well. Um, like when you're out, like I was at a, I was at a concert the other day, you know, now that people are actually allowed to go out in public and instead of handing out programs, they use the QR code, which is brilliant. Mm. Of course, that's wonderful. But also you're talking about calls to action in a print publication. Yeah. Now, I have had really good conversations with some business to business publishers recently. And I asked them, I'm like, how is your engagement on your print publications? The ones that haven't been killed yet to a T they're all telling me engagement is off the, off the board. It's fantastic. We're getting great engagement. We're great at getting still good pass around, believe it or not, even though people aren't in the office, I'm like, okay, that's, that's really interesting. And so you're asking yourself, why are print magazines being killed uh, across the board? It's because most print publications and, and publishers haven't figured out a way to monetize past advertising. So if you could, that's the problem. The problem is not engagement, in my opinion. The problem is funding and advertising. So just look at, look at what Lego's doing. Look at what Amazon's doing. Look at what Walmart and Sam's Club are doing. You know what they are? They're doing investing heavily in print right now. So Red Bull, same thing, still doing the Red, Red Bulletin magazine. So I think that we should we should stop looking at fake data and look at what some of these innovative companies are doing. And really the only issue we have with print is, can you fund it? So if you, if you let's say that you're a content marketer and you're listening to this conversation, you're like, I'm not gonna do print because I can't measure it. Well, what set the hypothesis? Could you say that people that subscribe to your print publication become some of your best customers? I don't know, maybe that's a thing. So let's go ahead and follow that. So you can do an A-B test and you can say, let's send this one out to 10,000 of, of these customers. Let's not send it out to these. Let's measure it over a year's time if you can do that. And let's see who buys more. I mean, that's absolutely a thing that a lot of companies have done over the time. And I, I think that that's a huge opportunity today just because it's very hard to break through on a social media platform today. And it's very easy to deliver something of value to uh, through the post today. Very interesting. I think um, I think especially there's there's equally other opportunities around, especially from a B2B marketing perspective, from an ABM perspective, where you try and think, okay. yes, about magazines, but also what else might you send? And it's back to there is an experience with something physical. There's there's a there's an avoidance of all the other distractions and noise. You know, if you have your phone in front of you, you've got hundreds of apps. 
you'll bounce between 10 different things. If there's something in front of you, there is still an opportunity. It'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see in the next two years if, well, if there is some type of comeback. Well, you, you, I mean, you talked about before the show about your book program that you send mm-hmm. out. People love to get something in, um, in print, in the mail. They like to touch and feel it. Uh, and it goes back to my the old days when I started in custom publishing. This is back in 2002. We did a program for Hewlett Packard at the time, and it targeted 150 people. And 150 people every month got a package. It was generally a book and a report or something like that. But think about that. You're talking about ABM, 150 people. But again, these 150 people were part of big companies that spent millions of dollars with Hewlett Packard. So all they need is one, right? So sometimes we forget that those types of things are so, you know, if I'm looking today and I'm trying to target um, a certain, let's say a certain company, let's say I'm trying to target a Microsoft and I'm targeting 20 people in that, what kind of a consistent content experience could you create through print? I mean, so I think we just we just run to digital today and yeah. rightfully so. And I'm, and I'm not stupid. I mean, rightfully so that we probably should lead digital first, but not for the sake of not even looking at opportunities that are right in front of us. So, you know, when everyone else is is, um, you know, zigging, you know, we've got to zag the other direction and there's an opportunity. And then it's, you know, it's measurability, right? It's are we measuring the right things? I think that there can be a danger from a digital perspective to measure vanity metrics. And so if you're focused on the right things and you're measuring in the right way, but I love your example there that, yeah, if it's the 20 right people, it's 20 people. It doesn't matter that it's only 20, it's the people. And sometimes it's about going that layer deep and really making sure these analytics mean something like who really are we targeting? What does this data really tell us? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that's a fun project, right? If you're a marketer and you're a marketing team, you figure out, first of all, you know, you do the 80, 20, you know, what's the, mm. what are the 20% of our customers that are comprising 80% of our revenue? And I love those programs. So I'll go through it and I'll say, okay, let's target these 20 companies. And here's 20, you know, 20 people in these 20 companies that we want relationships with. And is that the same program? Are they different programs? Let's break them up. How long do we want to go? The only challenge with that is don't make it a campaign. Like you can't, you need to measure, but if you do these things for six to nine months and then you stop, what does that tell you've, you've built, you've, you created this content promise to them. And then you've said, oh no, no, we're done. We don't need you anymore. Cause our campaign's over. That's if, if you're asking me a thing that's killing uh, large enterprises right now, when it comes to content is because I still hear and see content marketing campaign, content marketing campaign is not a thing. You can have content in a campaign, but you can't have a content marketing campaign because content marketing is always about a marathon. It's always a long-term initiative to build audience and maintain or change behavior over that audience. But when you say campaign, you need, you always say it stops just like a political campaign. Thank goodness a political campaign stops, right? But a marketing, you can have a marketing campaign, but not a content marketing campaign. So this should, this is an overriding initiative to build audience, to build a long-term asset that can create opportunities that you're not thinking of right now. Yeah, that was one of the, the real fantastic takeaways that jumped out of the book is that consistency. And, and the other one for me was also kind of focus and not being in every single channel in every single place, which I think as marketers, as there's more channels, more opportunities, there can be, you know, we talk about sort of 
shiny object syndrome when it comes to technology, but the same can be true just of channels. You know, it's like, do we need a TikTok strategy? I'm not saying it's not a great platform, but are yeah. you ready? Is it relevant or is it just, you know, is it Mark Tunis who produces some amazing examples of, of some of the madness that we as marketers sort of it's, get distracted by? It's so crazy. I mean, and I was guilty of this back in 2008 because I wrote in Get, get Content, Get Customers. I said, you need to be everywhere your customers are at online. Well, little did I know there was going to be explosion of channels. And that is the absolute wrong advice. No, you do not have to be everywhere your customers are at. You should be everywhere your customers are at that you can provide an amazing experience for and actually dedicate the right amount of resources to. So I like to look at it that you only have so much content energy in your organization, no matter how many resources and how much budget you have. So if you take those and break, a, break, break apart that energy, and you say, oh, we're going to be in 15 different platforms, you end up being mediocre at best in any of those. But if you said, oh, no, we're not going to be in 15. By the way, CMI research says the average enterprise delivers content in 14 to 16 different channels. Wow. Okay, that's nuts. You can't be great in 14 to 16 different channels. What if you took all that energy and made it three to five? You could be exceptional. You could have the best podcast in your industry you could have the most remarkable email newsletter but not if you're spreading the resources too thin yeah we're literally having a conversation about that internally is that there's there's new channels there's new areas and it's before we add we need to take away oh, so yeah that's so true because i i talk about this all the time before you know one of my former uh careers were going into large enterprises and doing like many content audits and say you know figuring out you know what they're doing we interviewed a lot of people robert rose was really involved in these as well and when you, you go through they always think like a chief marketing officer will always think the recommendation coming back will be oh you need to do more of this we never ever said do more of anything it was always you need to cut you're just spread too thin. You're doing mediocre content experiences. Doug Kessler, who runs Velocity Partners, says basically enterprises create a mountain of meh, which is what, which is, yeah. which is just a waste. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just a big waste of time. So why are you wasting your time and your customer's time? Let's focus. Let's be great at a few things. And then once you build a minimum viable audience on those platforms, then you can diversify. So what a media company does is they build on one platform, they build an audience, and then they diversify out. Every great media company has done this over time. What marketers do is they say, we got a great idea. Let's tell this story and blast it out on 50 platforms at the same time. Never works. Right, switching gears. I, I do. I really want to get your insight, especially you've got Tiltcoin. I want to talk a little bit about sort of tokenization of the world and sure. the place that exists around content creators. Um, specifically, do you see? Well, one, one I want to ask you about Tiltcoin. I'd love to hear more. I've been through it in a bit of detail, but I'd love to get your your words on that. And then I'd I'd like to pick up on um, sort of BitCloud or a business of that type and whether or not that's what you see will be the future in terms of really finding a, whether it's a whether it's a platform or whether it's about more direct ways in which individuals can be rewarded that becomes more normal than even a media business so i'm yeah so you mentioned tilt coin so our business the tilt has our own creator coin on the rally.io network we call that tilt coin we launched that in february and uh, we are making a bet that you can build a, an engagement economy 
through whether you want to call it creator coin or social currency or social tokens we nobody knows what the word is right now i've been using creator coin seems to be to, uh, social tokens might be a thing doesn't matter uh, i think the key is providing value and a value exchange so no you know you're, you're going to get people that want to so those people are buy, are going to buy tilt coin some people because they like me they're like oh i like joe i believe in what he's doing i'm going to support him that's not what it's for what it's for is is that i believe that i'm going to put in a little bit as a consumer of this content and i'm going to get a little bit out and that goes that just kind of works itself out so at the tilt what we have to do is we have to make sure that we provide real value for somebody in investing is not the word but somebody supporting what we're doing so that means down the road you know right now you can get tilt coin if you refer our newsletter so you start to accumulate some of it you can um, transfer that over into merchandise you'll be able to uh, get training with it so exchange that for training you'll be able to give that to other readers that you like we've got a discord group so people can can gift or tip and you really will see a mini economy happening and my thought is carlos and i don't know if this is going to work but we're going to certainly try it is that everything we do in that business is run with the coin so if i want if you wanted to buy a, a training package or you want to get our new report or our new research you got you got to do it in tilt coin right and if you and if you can get more tilt coin by doing things and adding to the network and the economy so i think it's a thing I think there's a lot of scams out there too. So I get worried and and I don't, I want to, you know, a lot of people are just launching their coin because they can. BitCloud, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. is a good example. I don't understand some of the things that are going on with, with BitCloud where somebody can invest uh, money into Elon Musk's BitCloud and he hasn't even launched it. It was that so money that, go at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's total speculation. So what I like about, I looked at rally, there, there's three companies that I would look at right now when it comes to social currency. There's BitCloud, as you mentioned, there's Roll and there's Rally. If I'm looking at something, I would look at Roll and Rally. We, I, I, we just decided to go with Rally because I felt that that was more in line with our mission at the time when what we're doing with the tilt. So that they, they scrutinize the creator. They're not, BitCloud, I launched a BitCloud account in two seconds, done. Right. Nobody checked it over. Nobody verified. I'm I'm in, and I can start saying, "Hey, go invest in me." Uh, I don't have any promises. I don't have any plan for what I'm doing. Great. The difference is, is that when you get a coin on Roller Rally, you need to have a plan. You need to say, "Look, we are going to run an economy through this." So here's what I'm trying to figure out. When it, you you mentioned about a media business model, here's mm -hmm. what I haven't figured out yet. If you look at like in Content Inc, we talk about 10 different revenue sources once you build an audience and that's a media company can use that. I don't know if social currency is just another area. I think it's actually, you duplicate the, the media business model and you have one over here and you run the exact same model on top of a coin. Right. So I think, I think that, that's what it becomes because I can do I can do a paid subscription program. I can do a training program. I can run events. I can do uh, any, I can run advertising and sponsorship through the coin. So you, you're just running it instead of using fiat, you're using yeah. the coin. So that, so I, th <laughs> I think it's a thing. It's a different way to look at it. At, at the least, you're thinking about like loyalty miles, hotel points, yeah. that kind of thing. At the very least, 
at the most you're thinking can you run, can a creator run an economy on this it's probably the truth is probably somewhere in the middle i'm going to be on the one extreme and this is what robert gives me crap about because he's like you can't do this you're just this is a whole this isn't even a thing but i but i think it is and the one thing that i'll say that i know for sure over and above the business model is when you have subscribers that get tilt coin they feel more vested in the initiative they don't just feel like a reader they feel like part of the community that's a real thing I've, I've talked to our subscribers. I've received emails from our subscribers. They really feel like, and then they want more of it. So they'll refer or they'll, they'll do positive behaviors that a media company would want, right? So that, that's my take on it. I don't know where it's going to go, but we're at the bleeding edge of this right now. So if I think where we could be in two years, I think it could be something special. I want to be, I want the tilt to be the case study for this. That'll say here, oh, media company can do this. Here it is. But we won't know for, for at least a year whether this experiment is going to work. It's interesting. I mean, I, I think few would doubt that there's disruption in what we think of in terms of the economy today. And, you know, whether it's a pound or a dollar, there's, there's no doubt there's obviously been mass disruption with cryptocurrencies. And it is, it's a very, very interesting space to look at. Um, if you're able to reward that time and attention. So it's, it doesn't just replace or, or give you an alternative, but actually changes the way in which you engage so that you're trading time or an action. It makes sense, logically it makes sense, but it's whether behaviorally it's adopted and, and to what level, right? I think it, it'll be an interesting, yeah, an interesting few years looking at this it, in more detail. It's interesting. So if you say, so we have, so we start, we launched two months ago at the Tilt we've got like 8,500 subscribers. So we're, we're doing okay. We've done a pretty good start. If you said of those 8,500 that have gotten messaging from us on this, I would say less than 1% really get it. And you've got 10% that are intrigued that will do it. They have no idea what's going on. And then you've got, you've got the rest that are just like, what, what? And then a lot of that is just because it, they've never been involved in any kind of cryptocurrency before. And what they've heard of is Dogecoin and uh, th whatever the media tells them cryptocurrency is. They don't, they don't think about, about it as, a, as decentralized finance in any way. And that's what we're trying to focus on is being outside of all those plugins, really being a global um, mini engagement economy, if you will. So that's where we're at right now. So you know, if, if you had 50% of the world that were invested in some kind of cryptocurrency or Bitcoin, this would be a heck of a lot easier. But we're mm -hmm. trying to educate not only on cryptocurrency, we're trying to educate on creator coins and social tokens on top of cryptocurrency. So it's doubly hard. But we'll get there. I don't mind being I don't mind being first to the wall. So we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. But the folks at Rally are great with their support. So they're really trying to create. And that's why they're not adding. It was like there's only like 140 creators with tokens oh, right, right now oh there's it's very very small and same with roll they do not they they're very very careful about rolling this out too quickly and i think that's that's smart and so they're focusing on the creators they have they have one or two a week i think is what mm -hmm. they're doing and they're all what's amazing is they're all over the board i mean there's twitch people there's people on tiktok there's people on instagram they all have built their own communities and it's interesting to see the different models and i'm learning from them because i'll go in mm -hmm. on rally and i'll say what's this one doing and what's this one doing and how are they and it's it's fascinating i did definitely i'm 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 trying to pay as best attention i can i don't think i completely 
get it all the time. But I definitely think there's there's broader trends that I think few people can argue with, which is disintermediation, tokenization, and gamification. And it really does cover all three of those. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing individuals that are tokenizing their day, right? There's like, and the, I don't, I would not do this, but you see some individual creators that are absolutely doing this. They're like saying, okay, who wants to, you know, whoever wants to spend 10 tokens or coins or whatever, and you tell me what, what I'm doing from eight to nine in the morning today. All right, though, that's a little out of hand, but there, there is something that you're, there is the gamification is a thing um, to, to see, I mean, when it's it's so weird, some so the people that initially when we first launched the coin, we launched it at twenty nine cents, and we were giving it away like crazy. Anybody that wants some, we'll send you a whole bunch, whatever. And we were sending out, you know, fifty coins, a hundred coins because it wasn't valued that much. Well, now a coin, as we're talking today, is worth twenty three dollars. So these people have thousands of dollars in value. It's real money. You can switch it out. You, you, I mean, you can, you, if you said, I don't believe in Joe anymore, I don't believe in the tilt. Can I switch this out for, for fiat? You can absolutely do that. Um, but it's just weird how, how this thing is just blown up and happened, happened. And, uh, and yeah, I don't know if I believe it quite either. My wife thinks it's the most foolish thing in the world. She can't, <laughs> she can't imagine like, why, how, why is this thing doing this and whatever? And I said, well, you know, they, they believe in what we're doing and the strategy. And she's like, no, they don't. They just, it's the speculation. And I'm like, no, 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 there is some speculation, but we're trying to create something for the long term. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. It's interesting. We'll see. Yeah. Um, Joe, that's probably all we've got time for, but um, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. And I've really, really enjoyed finding out more about the book, but also about the, the initiative here around to, um, Tiltcoin. It's fantastic. Yeah, it seems like we only talked about a couple of things, but I, they sort of just went from went from place to place. No, that was fun. I appreciate it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This year, we'll be switching up our format and we won't be publishing all interviews as podcasts. We will mix between written interviews too. So to make sure you don't miss out on any of our fantastic books, head to martechalliance.com slash book club. You can also check out our 2021 Marketing and Tech Book Clubs not to be missed.